Hi. Hi. You're in your car. Be home in two seconds. <laughs> I'm literally like two blocks from my house. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a new episode of What's Normal with Gabriel Sanders. Hello, I am Gabriel Sanders. And this episode is titled Celebrating the Weirdness. I had such a great talk with Rena Strober and I'm so excited about this talk. It was so fun. So Rena Strober is known for many things. Most recently, her hit Sesame Street song and album Imagine That with the Sesame Street music of Joe Raposo and Jeff Moss featuring Dots. That's D-O-T-Z, the Blind Children's Choir. So go to renastrober.com for that. There's also a link on the description page of the episode. Rena and I recorded our talk a few weeks ago, and so since then, I mentioned my baby girl's birthday was coming up. She's turned five. We had a lovely little party, and uh, man, time flies. It really does. And speaking about time flying, it's been 10 years, and Stabler's back. Chris Maloney as Elliot Stabler in the new Law & Order spinoff. In the nation's largest city, the vicious and violent members of the underworld are hunted by the detectives of the Organized Crime Control Bureau. These are their stories. I'm so excited about this. I work on the show. I'm the boom operator. I'm very proud of the show, and, and I love working with the crew, the awesome crew, the incredible cast, beautiful cinematography, and of course, it sounds amazing. And of course, that's on NBC and re-aired on NBC.com, Law and Order Organized Crime. Please be sure to check it out. It's a brand new type of feel of Law and Order. It's not like the other Law and Orders. It's new, and it's amazing. So check that out. Rena Strober is an actor, performer, voice artist, singer, songwriter, producer, stamp comedian, works with Dots of Blind Children's Choir, as I mentioned. She toured on Broadway, Les Mis, and actually worked with another guest of the podcast, who will get into that funny story. Rena has been featured on Veep in Disney Channel's Live and Maddie. She was on the original L.A. cast of Reefer Madness. She performed a few times on the dais of the Friars Roast. And on home plate at Shea Stadium, we also get into her involvement with a famous murder in a New York City Italian restaurant, which was made into an episode for the OG Law and Order. And she shares her feelings about her portrayal in that episode. We talk about her house, which is interior decorated like a pop culture museum. And there's also a side story about Mark Summers. There is so much covered in this episode. And was Mel Brooks in the Muppet movie? That'll be answered in this talk. But I want to get back to the term weird for a moment. The title is Celebrating the Weirdness, and I've shared before that I've never liked the word weird. I was called weird as a kid. I don't like to use weird in the sentence. I think the word weird is vague. But I like how Rena describes weird. I like how weird can celebrate the differences in someone or something instead of criticizing the differences. You're weird, that's weird. Well, that's good. Be weird. Or you could just drop the word because words can be limiting and detrimental, but like word normal or weird or isolating and limiting, words can be that way. But also a word like weird can describe the celebration of not being normal or, or as Rena says, boring. Rena says that life is an adventure. And every day is an adventure, and that's pretty awesome. So just be the most amazing you, celebrate yourself, celebrate your own weirdness, and what is possible in life. 
And to quote the amazing Jim Henson, life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. Life's like a movie. Write your own ending. Keep believing. Keep pretending. We've done just what we've set out to do. Thanks to the I hope you enjoy this talk as much as I did. So order a half double decaffeinated half calf with a twist of lemon, dive into this talk, and be sure to check out Rena's music video for Imagine That on YouTube. You can buy the album on her website, renastrober.com. Also, check out Law & Order Organized Crime on NBC and NBC.com. Here is Celebrating the Weirdness with Rena Strober. But first, an amazing multilingual rendition of Sing. And thank you for listening. Sing, sing a song, sing out loud, sing out strong, sing of good things, not
Hello. Hi. <laughs> that was really funny that we we start the talk and you're in your car. I've had talks in my car, but not driving. Oh yeah, I know. L.A. <laughs> I do everything when I drive. It's terrible. Is it the true L.A. story, like the Steve Martin movie? Oh, absolutely. I need to watch that again. Actually, now that I've lived here for so long, <laughs> probably appreciate it more. I think he was ahead of of its time. I think it was like early '90s, ninety one, ninety two. The way he orders their coffee. In that movie,、yeah. it's still the same way that people order their coffee. I like a half double decaffeinated half calf with a twist of lemon. <laughs> It was genius. I love a decaf coffee. I love a decaf espresso. I love a double decaf cappuccino. Giving decaffeinated coffee ice cream. Morris, I love a half double decaffeinated、yes. half calf with a twist of lemon. I love a twist of lemon. I love a twist of lemon. I love a twist of lemon. That's so funny. Oh my god, he really was ahead of his time. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Zarina Strober, how are you? Oh, I'm good.、Uh, I, you know, I'm a parent, so I'm never like at a resting point. There's、mm. always like ten percent anxiety. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're never calm, but、um, I'm doing okay.、Uh, you know, I'm able to go for walks because、yeah. I live in a very walking-friendly area in Los Angeles on the east side. So I'm, I'm grateful for that, and it's beautiful out.、Mm. So. So it's the little things that are good. Thank you so much for coming onto my podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you.、Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're a parent.、Uh, I am a parent. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell by what I look like? Yes, I have a almost four year old,、mm-hmm. an almost four year old named Izzy, and、uh, so it made quarantine、uh, very interesting. Thankfully, we are in LA, so we're able to take walks、mm-hmm. and be outside a little bit and. And she has a little pod with three other little girls.、Um, so yeah, yes, I have a child. <laughs> <laughs> How old are yours? My baby girl is going to be five in two weeks,、oh. and I'll be going home for a week during her birthday week.、Oh, nice. Yeah. And my other girl is six and a half, nineteen months apart. Oh my god, it's a lot of girls. They're、yeah. so emotional. Yeah. And manipulative. I feel like she's manipulating me every two、oh, seconds. Yeah. So we're not alone in that category. Oh, it's like negotiating, and then she's negotiating with me, and I'm like, "You're not the negotiator here. I'm the mom." And suddenly, I'm the kid <laughs> going, "Okay, okay, what do you?" They're smart. They're just、yeah. they're born with that. Yeah. That side of yep. them. Yep. Yeah. Does, do you think that? <laughs> Do you do you、mm-hmm. think that she has? Have you seen that that she has the gift that you have? Um,、uh, I don't know if I even have a gift. I definitely have, wor- have gift. worked very hard. Um, sh- thankfully she's got good pitch, which I checked very、mm. early on to see if she、mm-hmm. had good pitch, and she can match pitch. And I was like, oh, good.、Yeah. She does love to sing. She has a microphone.、Yeah. She'll stand on anything to make it a stage.、Mm. But I keep telling her the only stage she can perform on is the TEDx stage the- when she gives a dissertation on engineering, because that's yeah. Oh, I'm, I can't support a little actress. Want- <laughs> <No> . She needs to support me, so she needs to go into research or engineering or something fabulous and well-paid. But at least she has good pitch while doing it. Yes. Oh, thank God. I don't know what I would have done if she sang off pitch. Did you have a tuning fork when she was born? Just like. Yeah, I, mean, I just would hold it up to her ear. <laughs> like, yeah, here's an A.、Yeah. <laughs> so, Rena,、yeah. you are a singer, performer,、mm-hmm. actor, stage、mm-hmm. and screen, and we're gonna get into 
the wild journey that you've been on, um, which kind of, I don't, I'm not going to say it started off with a bang, but that was part of it. Oh, there was a bang. Yeah, I always forget about that bang. You even performed for the Friars Roast. Oh, yeah. I used to, I performed on a few of those daises. I was one of the youngest Friars. Oh, cool. I would say I brought the wow. average age down to 70. Um, <laughs> and so I performed at the Don King Roast, actually, that Donald Trump was on the dais for. Wow. So crazy to think back then. I was still so disgusted by that man. Mm-hmm. Um so yes, I was on the dais with Trump and Don King, and then uh, I forget Pat Cooper might have been the other roast. I can't remember. It was a while ago. But being there, you were surrounded by like the history of entertainment and comedians. Yeah, um, unfortunately, a lot of the greats had passed. Yeah. Um, but it was me, Gilbert Gottfried, um, uh, Lisa Lampanelli was on the dais that mm. year. What year is that? God, that might have been like 2007 or 2008. Uh, Jeff okay. Ross, who's brilliant. And Jeff then Ross. you'd have Pat Cooper and you'd have some of the old yeah. guys too. Freddie Roman. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. I love the yeah. Friars Club. I'd go every week. I'd sing there on Thursdays. I was like a little old Jewish man. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I thought Gilbert Godfrey was banned. No, no. He's a sweetheart, too. We were sitting next to each other, and he had just had a baby, or his wife had a baby, and uh, he's nothing like his act. I mean, I never realized it until I was just talking with him, but that's, he's very shy and sort of quiet until he's on, and then Mm -hmm. he, you know, squints his eyes and makes his Mm -hmm. nose funny and, and does the Gilbert Godfrey thing. Mm -hmm. Just completely an act. Same with Lisa Lampanelli. I mean, she's since retired from her thing. Um, But back then, she is like humble and so sweet and kind and funny. And then she's on stage and she was her personality, like her her chosen act. So it was interesting getting to see both sides of people. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Now, let's talk about you. Let's talk all about your normal, all about Rena Strober. You got There are so many things that you've done. You've such amazing shows. You've been on Veep. Yeah. You've been in uh, Law & Order. You've kind of like done like big New York shows. Yeah, it's funny because I was doing Broadway and then I booked Law & Order and I was like, I'm finally a Broadway actor because I was on Law & Order. It was like, right. you didn't earn your Broadway legs until you were on an episode of Law & Order because everybody went through right. the Law & Order thing. Right. Yeah, that was fun. That was super fun. It was so long ago. Was it SVU? No, it was Criminal Intent. Oh, Criminal Intent. Yeah. I was just, I worked at a baby store. I didn't even get to die or bleed or shoot someone. (laughs) It was so simple. Yeah, I still cash those residual checks. (laughs) Oh, very nice. Very nice. Just for one scene? Was it one or two scenes? I forget. I think it was one scene. Yeah. I don't remember. That's cool. Once you have a child, your memory just goes poof. Yeah. Well, let's kind of challenge your memory. Okay. Okay. Now, when you were a kid, did you feel that you had that this is like this was like your passion that you wanted to sing that you wanted to be on stage that this is like you felt like that was a like a natural oh, yeah. thing for you? I was like I'm somebody. I I still think it. I still think I'm not the person I'm supposed to be because I should be wealthier. But um, that's another podcast. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I started dancing really young. Um, at four, and then started singing very young and was always performing and then spent my summers at Stage Door Manor Performing Arts Center in upstate New York. Yeah, sure. Um, And so that's a real place where 
it, it'll make or break you because it's very yeah. fast moving, very professional. I'm still close with all of my friends from back then. Wow. Um, like Natalie Portman was actually there after me, but I was there during like right after Josh Charles and um, some really great people. And uh, yeah, I always, I always knew. And then, uh, but I never thought I would, would be successful. Um, and then I went to college, I went to Skidmore and was a drama major, but still was like, I hope one day, I hope one day I can do it. And then pretty soon after college, I booked Les Mis on the national tour. And I was like, oh, oh, I can do this. Oh, and you're going to pay me to do this? Okay, cool. That's a huge, going from, I remember, let me go back for a second, Stage Door Manor. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to be that. I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be an actor. My parent, and I wanted to go to Stage Door Manor. My parents were like, Aww. no, no, you can go to a sports camp. Oh. And I had no interest, <laughs> no interest in sports camp. So that was like, yeah. And I tried a little drama in school and it just didn't work for me. Oh. Yeah. And I've done a little acting, but I pretty much live vicariously through, you know, others. Yes, but you have a steady job. You have a job that you know is like a whole season long. So that's Well, nice. the business is fickle. You know, it's, that's just what it is. Uh, yep. You could you could work steady for a couple months and then not work for a couple months yep. and then work for a month and for then not work years. for a couple years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've had friends who were series regulars on big shows and then didn't work for a few years. Yeah. There's a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Um, so you went from college to Les Mis. Well, there was like a year and a half in there where I was in LA doing regional theater, uh, but getting huge parts right out of school. I was doing, I did Eliza Doolittle and I did Louise and Gypsy. And then I just felt, it felt so good. It felt so right. And then there was an open call for Les Mis in LA and I wasn't union yeah. or anything, but I showed up at 5am and I signed my name up as the non-union group, taped it to the door, sang my 16 bars of Think of Me. Got a call back for the next day for Cosette, where I had to learn the, the whole Cosette packet and uh, went back. And then the next week, they're like, are you free to join the national tour in two weeks in Atlanta, Georgia? And wow. I was like, wait, what? I, I, I just bought a pet bird. And I was like, but I have this <laughs> bird. Uh, so my mom flew out to L.A., picked up the bird, brought the bird back to New York. And uh, I packed up my life and went on the road for a year and a half wow. doing that show. Yeah. Wait a minute, this might be interesting connection, and this might be a shot in the dark, but do you know Josh Davis? Yes, I know Josh Davis. Not, not, oh, he's he's a Floridian, right? No, he's he's in New York, actually, but I'm related to him. Really? Yeah. The reason I made a face is because he did a prank on me once, and I always think, so Josh and I met, I think, actually through J-Date in, oh. like, the early aughts. Um, I think we went on a J date, but then we became friends and we, I was doing an off Broadway play in 09, no, 2010 with Betty mm -hmm. Buckley and Peter Scolari and Tuck Watkins. And Josh was the cover. He was the swing. So he was always backstage. And one day I come into backstage to do my makeup and he, all my makeup was super glued to my makeup table <laughs> and to each other. I should go get it because it's still, all the labels are ripped off. That's funny. And he... Pretended like it wasn't him and he thought it was the funniest thing. And I was so mad because all of the labels ripped off of my makeup. So I didn't know what anything was called. And I was like, um, looking back, I think it was pretty funny. Um, That's pretty funny. And then he went on the last tour as Javert, right? Yeah. In Les yeah. Mis. Yeah. I, yeah. The, the version I did was the original turntable, like the OG Les Mis uh -huh. back a long time ago. 
That's awesome. Um, but yes, oh, Josh Davis, what a nice Jewish boy. And he's he's just like the consummate. He like he looks like an actor and his amazing voice. Oh my god, he's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, he's beautiful. Um, so yeah, I stayed on the road for about a year and a half, mm -hmm. which was really incredible. I was so young and they were just powerful years developing friendships. I saw the entire country. Um, I got to meet people all over the country, um, sort of took that time to rediscover my Jewish roots in a way, because I had sort of lost that in college and on the road due to some loneliness, I would find Jews in every city and and they would just welcome me. And wow. I ended up having like Passover Seders in Nashville and Yom Kippur and in um, New Orleans. And uh, so it was a really powerful time in my life. And then mm -hmm. I left the road to go do Fiddler on the Roof, actually, in Sacramento. And uh, the broad, they call Les Mis called and said, your track is open on Broadway. Can you Oh. Do you want to go do your role on Broadway? And I was like, I'm playing a huddle oh, in Sacramento. Man. And they're like, oh, okay, maybe next time. Because I couldn't get out of the huddle contract. And I was like, mm -hmm. did I just miss my Broadway debut to do Fiddler on the Roof in Sacramento? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I did Fiddler. And then two weeks later, they called me again and said, the girl that was just taking a vacation is leaving. So do you want, yes. do you want to come to Broadway? Yeah. And I was like, hold on, let me think about <laughs> it. <laughs> They give you the, the second chance. Yeah. Like, here's a second chance to do it. You got to do it now. Yeah. Yeah. And so I moved to New York with a Broadway contract, which is very rare. Um, mm. And I moved, moved right into the show, the, the part I knew. It was the Cosette cover and then the hair hag. So I knew the track. I didn't know the cast. So I got to meet a whole new slew of people and then do my show in my town, like in my state. You know, I'm from New York. And, uh, mm -hmm. It was just magical. It was a magical time. It, actually, what was crazy is my Broadway debut was October 8th, 2001. Oh, no. So needless to say, the entire city mm -hmm. was reeling from September yeah. 11th, 2001. Yeah. Um, and Les Mis was closed for a few days. And then going into that show post 9-11, two weeks, you know, three weeks, it was a very different experience. Um, I think it's why like, I, it doesn't feel celebratory to me when I made my Broadway debut. Mm -hmm. The show, of all the shows that were running, this show had, um, it was very powerful because of the gunshots, because of the loss in the show. Right. So the audience, yeah. it felt different. It felt, it felt more important. We used to, on the tour, we used to laugh our way through Turning, which was the song where the women come out after all the soldiers die. And we would just like, we would mess around in that song, turning, turn, you know, did you see them going off to fight? And, uh, and, but, it, but when I went into that Broadway production post nine 11, that song, we would try not to cry during it because mm, it was, wow. it was the song that was mourning the dead. And here we yeah. were in New York city on 46th street, we could still smell, you know, the smell from the towers. So it was, uh, yeah. It was a, again like a powerful time and but a formative time in my life. So I, I'm I'm grateful that I was in that show at that time. How long were you in the show for? I only stayed for about eight months. I'd done it for so long. I was sort of done and um I was offered the lead role in a musical at Goodspeed Opera House that next sort of late fall. And I, so I took that and I went and did Babes in Arms out there, which was the opposite of Les Mis, which was like tap dancing and, you know, 
bright colors and no one died. So, mm -hmm. um, so I left and then just proceeded to do a ton of off-Broadway and workshops. And I went out to La Jolla Playhouse to workshop a Broadway show and, you know, just mm -hmm. kept doing my thing, living in New York City. That's amazing. And my podcast is called What's Normal. And this is all not normal to me. This is, of course, normal to anyone who's a performer. And I'm sure many people, I don't have that many people listening to my show, but uh, my podcast, but um, hopefully I will soon. But can you talk about the energy when you're on a stage and you're in the middle? I've done a little bit of drama, like, you know, high school drama. It's a different thing. And I've done, I did back in, it was like, oh, five. I did a, uh, a short play festival. Mm -hmm. I was in a little play that you had to be on and off the stage in like 15 minutes. So I did that and it was fun. And I remember this, but I want to ask you because you're, the audiences that you're, they're watching you, there's hundreds of people in the audience, I guess, if I'm, I don't know if I'm thousands, yeah. thousands of people mm -hmm. when you're in the moment and you're doing your thing, how can you describe the wave of energy from the people that are applauding or, or crying, or can you describe the energy that you feel from the feedback moments when you're in a moment? It's very different depending on the show and the space. When we mm. were on tour, we were playing these huge theaters, um, 2,000, 3,000 seat theaters, but our set was always the same. This was Les Mis. And, and the same with Fiddler. I toured with Fiddler on the Roof for a year. And we were very disconnected from the audience um, because the theaters were so big. So we, I was just on stage. I wasn't even, sometimes I'd forget that they were there. Um, but it's when you go into those smaller theaters, the Broadway theater was actually much smaller. It was like 1200 seats. And you can see that first and second row. Um, it's never terrifying. It's invigorating. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Um, if I know someone out there, there's a slight, you know, nervousness. If if there's family, um, I'll tell you the craziest audience though. I have. I got to sing the national anthem or God Bless America at Shea Stadium wow. at home plate at the seventh inning. And walking out there, looking up, because the I'd sung the national anthem with other people before, and no one's really there during the anthem, so it's a lot of empty seats. But when you're at the seventh inning, not only is it full of 80,000 people, but it's 80,000 very intoxicated New Yorkers. So that feeling was, holy shit. Like I'm a New Yorker. So the fact that I was at Shea Stadium, they were playing the Phillies. It was the first game of five and they lost that game and they lost that whole series of five. And I was never asked back because they're so superstitious that if they lose, they won't bring the singer back. And I was like, God damn it, you Phillies. Wait a minute. The singer, they won't bring the singer back because they lose? Well, because they're very superstitious. So they'll- But it's they'll, the singer's fault. Probably. It was definitely my fault. But it yeah. was so cool. I was backstage and, you know, or been there, whatever you call it, the dugout. And they yeah. were praying. Like they had a priest in their dressing room. And um, I got, I was there. Like I was on the yeah. field doing sound check. And I was like, what? That's this amazing. Is like, and my parents are from Queens. Like we are a, oh. we were a Mets family. We are a Mets family. So 
Wow. It was, it was magical. So that feeling of looking out to New Yorkers, to sports people, hearing my voice echo three seconds behind me, um, that felt like I had just reached every dream I'd ever wanted. Like, really? It was just me, you know? Um, but then being on stage, I mean, I'm a real, I love, I'm an actor first. Um, I, that's all I did at Skidmore. I was in the drama department. So I tend to sink into my storytelling and sink into my character. Mm -hmm. So I'm so focused on that, that I'm not that focused on the audience. Um, I do a lot of stand up and cabarets and that is a whole other thing where I love seeing the audience and I love torturing the audience and I'm very aware. Um, and I love it. Like I love when I can see people's eyes. Oh, I, I love when I can see people sleeping or checking their phone <laughs> and I'm given the freedom to be like, hi, what are you doing? <laughs> oh. Yeah. People, people know when they come to see me that they, if they do anything else, they're going to get called out. Really? Um, but uh -huh. in a fun way, like I, it's, it's part of my, sh yeah. my shtick. It just feels, I mean, it's been a while since I've been on stage. The last big show I did was Into the Woods at the Charlottesville Opera. And again, it was a huge opera house. So I couldn't really see the front row because the lights were so bright and the orchestra was taking up so much space. Mm -hmm. So I was just so focused on telling my story because mm -hmm. that's my job. Um, mm -hmm. And I got to do Into the Woods, which was like, pretty amazing the dream come true um yeah so yeah i guess it, it depends on what the part? space i did the witch you're the witch yes oh oh my god it was amazing i just had izzy izzy was like 20 months old and i couldn't get through act two for a long time mm -hmm. because it, uh act two took on a whole new meeting mm -hmm. as a mom oh, sure um the Rapunzel, you know, sequence and, uh, and the woman who played Cinderella, she had a baby the same age. So the, the two of us <laughs> just wept through act two. <laughs> we were a mess. So you're playing the witch. Now I only saw the movie. Oh, I know. Uh, I know. I hope I know. you mean the PBS movie with Bernadette Peters. No, that should be the only movie people see of Into the Woods. PBS, Bernadette Peters, Chip Zine. Like you got to see the original. Danielle Furland. I. Uh, this is what you're doing tonight. You're going to watch <laughs> the real Into the Woods. I just had an argument with a student the other day. He was like, "Oh yeah, what's is, is that the song Johnny Depp sings?" And I was like. What did you say? <laughs> I knew the music of Into the Woods. I, I unfortunately never saw it on Broadway. You can though, because it's it's documented on PBS. You can see on PBS. Yes. I think Bernadette Peters is an incredible, consummate, amazing so performer great. ever. I had the privilege of working with her on a show. Oh, which one? The Good Fight. Okay. With Christine Baranski? Yes. So that was pretty amazing. But isn't there like a, a crazy costume change? Oh, yes. There's the reveal. The reveal? Yeah, yeah. I've always wondered how they did that. Uh, they did it on Broadway with a stunt double. I think there was there were two actresses. I mm. did it myself. Um, I was underdressed in my gown and everything. And my costume was a 
big cloak, of course, hands, decrepit hands, and a mask. It was like a weird mask. So I was able to, during that scene where she's choking and the smoke is coming up, flip everything off. So that's on YouTube too, my reveal. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. That's amazing. So I'm going to yes. have to check that out. Yeah, I got some great footage of that. Um, this is, unfortunately, this is not a video podcast. It's a completely audio. Oh, I'm glad because mama didn't shower today. <laughs> <laughs> Best time. I showered this week once That's already. Enough. Give me a break. I get it. I get yeah. it. Oh, yeah. When during the, the COVID time, I'd be like, okay, I showered this week. I'm good. Yeah. 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 No, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's like an OCD thing with me. If I say I haven't showered in one day, mentally for me, I, I don't, even if I'm okay, I feel mentally dirty. So let me ask you, do you, how many times do you use the same towel after a shower? Well, after one shower, use a towel once. That's crazy. There are two types of people in the world. People who, I use the same towel for two weeks. I just keep oh, hanging it on the door. You say, okay, so, okay. So, you, you, you wash your towel every time you no, use no, it? No, 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 I'm sorry. I, I Because there are it. people who do that. I answered the question incorrectly. I will keep a towel. I just did laundry. I just sent my laundry out today. So I kept a towel for, yeah, two weeks. Okay, great. You're normal. Because I know people who will use it and then wash it. And I'm like, there's just not an ex excess amount of water in this world. Yeah. You need to reuse your towels. Reuse your towels. Yeah. 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 I'm glad we got that straight. You scared me for a second. <laughs> I was going to call Carrie and be like, he yeah. washing his towels too much. Oh, but, uh, but Carrie definitely knows that, that I need to shower. I need to shower. <laughs> I love when people yeah. around me shower. I just don't have it in me. Uh, I'm a morning shower person. Yeah. I can't shower at night. No, no. I don't understand people who do that too. It wakes you yeah. up. Yeah, exactly. Unless it's like been a dirty day, mm -hmm. I'll shower. Yep. But yeah, I can't in the morning start yep. fresh. Yep. I agree. Thank you. Yep. That's a normal thing for me yep. and for you. Totally. Excellent. So looking through your stuff on the internet, a couple of things jumped out at me. One was you were... <laughs> You're in the short-lived, I think, run, I saw it in New York, of Reefer Madness. Oh, my God. I was in the original Reefer Madness. Very cool. Not in New York, in Los Angeles. Original, original, before it went to New York. And I didn't do it in New York because I was doing Les Mis at the time. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, Reefer Madness, which is what's, what's nuts about it. That was one of the things I did in the year and a half I lived in LA. But, and I booked Les Mis while I was doing Reefer. And they were like, how could you leave Reefer you Madness for $11 a show for a Broadway contract? I was like, bye. $11 a show? Yeah, we were getting $11 a performance. Um, I think it's gone up to 14 Oh, good. Back then. Wow. Um, so yeah, Reefer Madness. I I'm still so close to everybody. And the same people from Reefer did Heathers, which I did the original for in LA as well before it wow. went to New York, um, which was Andy Fickman, the director. Kevin Murphy wrote it. Um, Dan Studney wrote Reefer Madness with Kevin, but Heathers was Larry O'Keefe, Broadway's Larry O'Keefe, mm. who wrote Bat Boy and Legally Blonde. Mm. And... Um, yeah, I love that family. And and Andy Fickman was the creator of Live and Maddie on Disney Channel, which is how I was doing Heather's when I auditioned for Live and Maddie. And when Heather's moved to New York, I stayed and did Live and Maddie. That's great. So yeah, Reefer Madness. When I went to see Reefer Madness, which is, a, I was at a little stage. Did you see it in New York? I saw it in New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and it was with the guy the guy in it i remember he was the one who did the voice he was the last year yes i love john he was the crypt keeper the crypt keeper yep. yeah he played ralph i'm still very good friends with him he is oh. so incredible john kassir aaron matthews who's she played sally uh i don't know if Lori did the new york there was a there wasn't a, a full crossover from LA to New York, um, but Harry Murphy, um, Bob Torty, Christian Campbell. I even think Kristen Bell did the show for a bit. And then Kristen did the movie on Showtime. There was a movie on Showtime of Reefer Madness? Yeah. I was not aware yeah, of that. Yeah, right after that, Kristen Bell and, and, and Christian did the film version. No, that's when they brought celebrities in. So it was Aaron and Lori Allen who did the, sh the performance. Of yeah. It. I just remember John Cassier. Um, and, and it was at a little stage, a little theater here off, off, off Broadway. It was on like second yep. Avenue. Yep. It's the only place it ever yeah. played. The yeah. stage doesn't exist anymore. It's now a uh, uh, development. Oh, really? When I went to see that musical, I had an epiphany that night and I wrote a, a screenplay about, it had unrelated, but I was with a friend from college and I was at a bar with him before I went to see the show or after see the show. And I bumped into a girl at the bar who I had a crush in in high school. And I was like, holy cow. And again, she had wanted nothing to do with me. But, um, and I was also in a relationship, but it was just wild to see her. And then my, my mind just started churning and I started writing a screenplay about high school, like a, oh. like a, a murder thriller mystery about high school. Where you killed the girl? No, wow. no it was actually uh, someone who read it said it was a high school version of Jacob Slatter. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was always a neat story, but then I, I kept rewriting, rewriting, and I kind of pushed it aside. Oh. But I was, I still have that really neat idea of... It was called Yearbook, and um, cool. yeah, Do it. And it started in that, and I think the whole screenplay starts in that bar, and then around that night. Um, anyway, pretty cool that you're in Reefer Madness. When I saw that, I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> Les Mis, how long were you on that for? Well, I joined the tour in 2000. I went to Broadway in 2001, left Broadway in like May or June of that year, 2002. I ended up going back to the road in 2004, so I joined... Mm -hmm. They asked me to go out for six months because my track was open and I knew it. So, um, and I knew the Cosette role. So yeah, I joined again in 2004 mm. and just did another tour for six months before they went to Korea. I think they were going to Korea or they just gone to Korea. Wow. Yeah. So you just skipped over a big event. <laughs> the reason I went on the road again. Right. <laughs> Can we talk about this? Sure. I mean, it's yeah. A long, it's like 18 years ago. It happened in December 2003. Yeah. Yeah. It was right before I joined the tour again. I know you've talked about this before. Probably ad nauseum. You can read interviews and about the event that happened in Harlem. Yeah. Spanish Harlem. In Spanish Harlem in 2003. I was not aware when this happened. I'm surprised. Most people remember the, the covers of all the papers. I was probably mentally and emotionally. I think this, probably in December 2003, I, I maybe I just moved to another place in Brooklyn and just in the beginning throes of a new relationship. And, I get it. You were busy. You were having a much better life than I was at the time. Uh, uh, you could balance the pros and cons on that. <laughs> but 2003, December, it's Christmas time. You are performing at a restaurant 
called Rayos. Yeah, and I, uh, people keep thinking like I was a hired singer or whatever, but it's it's not how it worked. I was going up there every Monday night for years because mm. um, I Les Mis, we had off Mondays because uh, we have off Mondays. I forget why, but I was able to go up there for dinners Monday nights. Mm. Um, that, that was a whole other story about how I got there. Um, but Sonny Grosso owned the table because people owned the tables every night, which is why you can't make a reservation. I think it's still that way. So he owned. Oh, it still exists. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. So he okay. owned the center table. So every Monday night at seven thirty, I was invited up there as a guest, and so um, tiny, tiny, tiny restaurant. There's ten tables, a tiny little bar. Um, it's in Spanish Harlem, corner of 114th and Pleasant, and um, then there were always people there, like a lot of mobsters, but also. Um, celebrities like Bill Clinton was would come up and Billy Joel was at our table one week and um, Martha Stewart and Pataki. Remember Governor Pataki? He I would do. come up. They were just always like guests at the table and me. And you were just talking about how when someone's in the audience, you feel nervous. Did you ever feel like these big people watching you and, and not only the names of celebrities, but mobsters watching you? How were your nerves? Well, it was weird because... There was a jukebox behind our table and Frankie Pellegrino, who actually recently passed away, he was the owner. He would put on the jukebox and walk around and sing to people. And then he would go, Rena Strober's here. Oh, my God. Why don't you sing a song? And I'd be like, what? OK. <laughs> and he'd put on the same fucking song every week. So was it? Um, it was Don't Rain on My Parade, apropos. Um and I was never really nervous because I was standing at the table. Like I literally, there was no stage or microphone oh. or anything. I would literally just stand up and move back a little bit to the jukebox, but maybe like four feet from the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When Billy Joel was sitting there watching me sing, I was like, not nervous, but I was like, how the hell did I get yeah. here? Um, and Michael Amante was there. So we okay. would do like Italian duets. Like we uh. would. Yeah. I was never nervous. I was also drinking red wine mm. and limoncello and so you're chill. And uh you're you're relaxed. Yeah, I wasn't aware enough to be mm. nervous, I think. It just was I was there every week. Like I was a staple of Rayos who was would always sing. That's my question to you is uh, so you met my wife, I guess, Carrie, I guess through Michael Amante. Oh, is that how we met? Probably, cuz she sang backup singer for Michael Amante. Oh my god. I also remember her just from auditions and oh my god, I forgot she knew Michael. But yeah. I know her from like, I think we did a reading together at Chelsea Studios. Like mm. when I think of her, I'm like, oh yeah, we were at Chelsea. Oh yeah, it was through maybe through Michael. Maybe. So he was always there too. So how were you a guest? How are you well known enough in this uh, group of people to be even invited to be seated at Sunny, a Sunny, oh, that was a, someone had brought me there years prior from LA, this priest that was a priest to the mob, but also mm. like my gay best friend in LA, but mm. it's just doesn't make any sense. But, um, Sonny fell not in love with me as in that way, but he loved my talent and he started to manage me and he started to book mm. me to sing with Michael Amante. Oh. So I was Michael's soprano and we would perform. We did town hall and Lincoln center. And like, so Sonny hired me cause I was doing Cosette at the time. And so my, high soprano was just in lovely shape um this is before i've done all my drinking um <laughs> so yes sunny sort of was my manager mm. so that's why i was there every week and i've, I've got chutzpah for days so i think i just was like <laughs> all right i'm, I'm here now i will call uh, 
Chutzpah for days. Yeah, I like I was just like, I'm here now. It's Monday. I'm part of this now. I, I didn't know any, like I just, mm. yeah, I made it, I made it my, my spot too. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And then, yeah, it was that, that Monday night of Christmas was Wednesday. I, I was supposed to go to the matzo ball that year. And um, it was really crowded. And wait, matzo ball? The ma wasn't it matzo ball like a Jewish dating thing? Yeah, the Jewish singles thing, where you're supposed to meet right. your future husband. Mm -hmm. And I'd never been, but I was like, I'll go this year. And um, the it was really crowded. Usually, Rayos wasn't that crowded because people were just at the tables. No one came to sit at the bar. But for some reason, a lot of people were at the bar, and it was noisy. And Frankie wanted me to get up and sing, and I kept saying no. And I was like it's too loud. It's too loud. And then Sonny and Michael went out to the car to get CDs of Michael. And then Frankie put the damn song on. And when the song went on, I got up to sing. I was like a, a monkey. And um, so I sang it. It was really loud. And, and I just sat back down. And that's when I heard what I thought at first was a broken glass because I heard pop and I actually said job opening you know uh -huh. like waitress dropped a glass thinking it was just a broken glass and then I heard a second pop and a blood curdling scream and then uh we went down I went down under the table with the rest of the people when we realized there were gunshots because and we didn't see Sonny so we didn't and we I knew Sonny had guns on him like multiple multiple firearms um as did many people there um so we didn't know what was going on. And um, and I just sort of stayed under the table until I, I, for a while. I don't remember when I remember looking up, oh, you know, Len Carrier was there that night too, um, who I'd become friends with later. Um, and then the police came in and taped us all in to be interviewed as like witnesses, but I still didn't know what was going on. And then I just started to hear people being interviewed and everybody was saying, this girl was singing and then we heard these shots. And I was like, no, uh, no, no, uh, you don't need to put me in that sentence. So everybody was like, well, the girl was singing and then we heard these shots. Well, that's all they hear. They heard the singing and then they heard shots. They heard the singing and then they heard the shots. So everyone was putting it together. Yeah. And so I told my story and I went home. Like I had my, my um, friend pick me up that night. And then my phone started ringing off the hook. Mm. The next morning, everyone thought I died because oh, wow. they, the, the cover of every paper was bullets. For, at this point, it wasn't me as much. It was just like bullets at Rayo's, bullets mm. at Rayo's, death at Rayo's, murder at Rayo's. Oh, my God. And so my phone started ringing with friends who knew I was up there every Monday and press. And I was like, why is the press calling me? Huh. And Sonny calling me frantically going, get up to Rayo's right now. So Sonny and Frankie sat me down and said, there's going to be things that you're going to hear, but you heard nothing. You saw nothing. Oh, you heard, and they kept saying it. And I was like, is this, am I in the fucking Godfather right now? You right. heard nothing. You saw nothing. And so then I went home and then it was the next day that the press started coming to my apartment saying, we heard you, someone was defending your honor. And I was like, what? Whoa. So then- this crazy story came out that I was singing and these two guys got into an argument. Albert Cercelli, who was like a 38 year old guy, uh -huh. got into an argument with Louis Lump Lump Barone. I'm not making this up. This 78 year old, 73 yeah. or 78, he had just got out of prison and they were fighting and I started to sing. Mm -hmm. And apparently Albert Cercelli was like, tell that girl to shut up. I hate it. Bah, bah, bah. And the old guy's like, don't disrespect her. She's uh. a lady. And he said, fuck you. And then the old guy shot the other guy in the back. 
And killed back. him with one shot. Went to shoot him again on the floor. Hit someone's foot instead, and w- walked out and just walked out down the street. Sonny Grasso, who was out there at his car getting CDs, saw him, walked up to him, and grabbed him. And he knew right away that wow. he had probably just killed somebody. And then everybody was blaming me. And blaming you. Blaming Again. me for them getting into a fight. And I was like, this has nothing to do with me. So first you let the Mets lose. I know. <laughs> it's all my fault. <laughs> then I caused death. Oh. And then the guy went back to prison. I actually think he died recently too. I have to look up Louis Lump- mm. Lumperon. Um, but I, apparently like from the inside, I found out that Louis Lump Lump had gotten out of prison and came there to end a issue with that this young guy Mm. um he used defending a lady as an excuse and he you know to look like a a man um but yeah yeah he killed him right then and there wow and i became and i would walk into auditions i remember and i was like still auditioning for broadway shows Mm. and and i could tell the people behind the table were like like dying to ask me something that's the one and then it would always, they'd ask me about that. But so to go back to, I didn't go to the matzo ball. My parents were like, you Mm. have to come upstate. My parents live in Goshen, New York. So I went up there because the press were trying to get to my apartment. They were calling my parents. They were, and then my face was on the cover of every newspaper. Like I was splashed everywhere. Um, And so Les Mid, uh, I'll never forget uh, Rob, Oh, I forget his name. Our company manager at Les Mis called and said, do you want to get out of town? And I was like, yes. And he goes, do you want to go back on the road? And I said, please. I wanted to get out of New York. And oh, so sure. um, they let me go back to Les Mis. So I ended up going back to something familiar, mm. back to something safe, back to, I mean, the gunshots really fucked me up on the road because I was still having really bad post, post-traumatic stress with this, with any loud sounds because of those gunshots. So, but I spent time on the road healing, writing my story, um, traveling the country, uh, doing, Mm. you know, doing what I loved. And then when I came back to New York, ended up putting a one woman show together called Spaghetti and Matzo Balls, which wasn't the shooting. It was the story about a nice Jewish girl up at Rayo's and how eventually it led me back to my own roots. You're having PTSD, you have to get out of New York. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and also I saw the body. Oh, like, you saw the body. There was a lot. I, I was more like a bloody sheet, and yeah. knowing that someone had been shot mm. twenty feet from me. I mean, he was really close to me. And so you have PTSD, and then you go and you and you write your story, which is really I, I'm I'm sure it's a really cathartic experience. Oh yeah, spaghetti and matzo balls, but you don't mention the murder in your show. I mention it very quickly. Mm. Um, I talk about Bill Clinton and Billy Joel, and then I talk about going on the road and I talk about my Jewish grandmother. And then at one point I, I play a bunch of answering machine messages. I did it very theatrically. Mm. I didn't want to harp on it because it's not my story. I mean, it it happened, but it doesn't define me. Um, Mm. and I didn't want also to be, I was really sensitive because people are like, why are you going to leave New York? You can use this. Oh, Law & Order did an episode about it where someone else played me. Really? Yeah. If you look it up. That's why. So there were so many people who were like, you can use this to your advantage. And and I just kept thinking, someone died. Like yeah. this young man, this 38-year-old guy died. Um, 
sent his family reeling. Like, mm. I was not going to use that to my advantage just because I happened to be in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. So, right. so that, and that wasn't why I wanted to be successful. You know, I didn't want mm -hmm. that to be what got me parts. Like I was still a talented singer and actor. Mm -hmm. So that's why I left for a bit. And that's why the one woman show is not, it answers the questions of how did I get there? You know, why was I there? Yeah. Um, and then there's a moment in the show where where I'm singing it again and you hear you hear that and I take take the audience through a moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I sing Sitting in Limbo, maybe Jimmy Cliff Sitting in Limbo. I forget what the song was. Uh -huh. How did you feel about Law and Order? Is this the original show? Mm -hmm. How did you feel that they made the story out of you and, and, and about the situation? And how did you learn about well, it? Well, I learned about it because Sonny... Sonny called me and said, because uh, David, what Chase or whatever his name Chase, is, yeah. he was was a frequenter of, of Rayo's. He was up there all the time. So everybody knew him. He knew uh, Frankie. He knew Sonny. And I got a call from Sonny that said, David's writing a script. He won't let us see it. So we don't know what he's doing. And we ask that you do not take part in it because we don't know mm. what it's going to say about Rayo's. And we don't, you know, so they asked me not to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't. And then I remember I was on the road and I watched the episode backstage on a light box and I wept, oh, like wow. wept because it was moment for moment. And actually the girl, Lisa Datch, who's a, became a friend of mine, she played me. Um, but it was, it was so weird to watch. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and then they were right. David did something really shitty and he wrote this episode and just made Frankie look like a criminal and they made it all about how Frankie it, it, it was shitty of him to do. And, and I could see why he mm. didn't send it to Frankie and Sonny um, because it was, it, it was very manipulative because um, Frankie Pellegrino was a wonderful person. Like he, he was, he was really wonderful. And so was his son who owned Baldoria's, which is another restaurant in Midtown. Mm. Um, so yeah, if people people still message me. They're like, "Did I just see a Law and Order based on Rayos?" Wow. So yeah, I mean, it's bum because like I I hadn't done a had I no I hadn't done Law and Order at that point either. Criminal Ten wasn't out yet. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I was like, why can't I be on TV to play me? Right. <laughs> That's crazy. Just to see someone else playing you. Yeah, a blonde. And I was like, I'm not blonde. <laughs> why is, <laughs> right, why is she blonde? Yeah. Right. Um, oh, wow. yeah, it was weird and it was gross. Like I felt gross yeah, and I really? never watched it again. I remember watching oh. it literally laying on the, it was between shows. Um, when I found out it was on and I stayed, um, I stayed between the matinee and the night show and I watched it and, uh, oof, it was just, it brought back so much. Oh, I'm sure. You know, I've actually never considered other people watching their own life story, you know, reproduced. I mean, I know that people definitely see their lives on Law and Order because Law and Order is ripped from the headlines, as they say. Um, but that one was particularly offensive because it wasn't the story, and I didn't like that. Well, it's also your story is too close to home. Yeah, but you don't realize just the liberties they take, and the fact oh. that David Chase was was a frequenter of Rayo's. Like he, oh. he, I felt like he did such a disrespect to Frankie and, and the whole establishment. I don't, I'm sure he didn't go back after that. 
I, either did I, like I stopped going too. Which kind of puts me into a weird uh, uh, situation because I'm, I'm working for the guy now because <laughs> I'm on the new law and order. Oh, right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Let him hire you. But yeah. So let's move away from that. And, and thank you so much for giving up your time to talk to me. I'm so appreciative of you. Thank yeah. you. So when did you find yourself? You mentioned a Disney show because Disney's kind of like, it's going to take over your your career, yeah. I guess. But hasn't it already? I hope so. I would love it to take over my career. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do work for them a lot. Um, I, I did a TV show for them for four seasons, and it was so great. And I'm now a, a mom, but I'm also a teacher. I work with young singers. I, that, I teach voice to young singers. And the oh, fact cool. that they come to me and yeah. are starstruck for a moment because of that Disney show gives me the ability yeah. to teach them a little better because they, they're open to listening to me. I feel like I can use it to my advantage. It's like when I played Belle at Westchester Broadway years and years ago, uh, I'd have friends who'd bring their kids and say, can you stay in the Belle dress and tell my child to eat vegetables or Aww. wear pants? <laughs> so kids listen to the people they look up to. So yeah. So I'm really grateful for that. I, you know, I worked for Nickelodeon too. I did a few episodes of a Nick show. Um, That's amazing. I voice stuff on Disney. Um, so cool. Yeah, I, I love, I love children's entertainment because it's the closest mm. thing to musical theater. You know, oh. doing multicam is just basically doing a musical with no, with no music, <laughs> with no audience. Yeah. I mean, I guess you have. Well, we had an audience though. We shot. We shot in front of a live audience. So, mm. and that's because it was run by the creator of Reefer Madness and Heather's. So they were all theater people. And so we did that show very much like a musical. Well, how does it run? Because what I understand is that you do, re you know, you do rehearsal, uh, you work through the script, you tape it in front of a live audience. You tape it in front of an empty audience. You move the cameras around. You get the close-ups. You get the coverage. Right. We did we did dress rehearsals uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, mm. Thursday. Mm. We would shoot certain scenes that just couldn't be done in front of a live audience for one reason or the other. And then Friday, we would shoot any scenes we didn't already shoot in front of that live audience. But mm. they would play the scenes we shot the day before for the audience. But we didn't run it full. Um, we would just do scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved the live audience because I'd always invite friends and it was so neat. And then I got to bow in front of the audience. That honestly is something that I wish I could do. It was so neat. That sounds so fun. It's the best. Even even Carrie remembers, I'm sure, when the, the weekend I proposed to Carrie in Universal Studios. Yeah. <gasps> oh, uh, um, and it was, I might've been that day when I found myself, you know how you could do performances, like you get pulled from the audience yeah, yeah. and it flashed me back to when I was like 13 at MGM studios when I did a thing there and that performance in front of an audience, I become such a ham and I love it. Look, I've got to be honest with you. I'm living vicariously through you because that's so amazing <laughs> and fun. It's a, it's a dream of mine. And you, you're working with these amazing colorful sets and these kids and i'm sure it's so fun yeah it was just i when i first moved to la in 2010 i went to a live taping of good luck chuck which was um a disney show i i, I had a friend who designed the sets and i sat in the audience and i was like i want to do that i want to be on the other side i want to be on the other side and so uh yeah like four years later i was on the other side and uh just like that I, wow i just sort of 
manifested it. Yeah. Um, I love being on the other side. And and I actually had a bunch of my, I, I work with the blind and um, I had oh, a bunch wow. of blind students, young kids come to the taping and, and oh, experience that. And very uh, cool. so, yeah, that was pretty cool. You mentioned Nickelodeon. Yeah. I remember when Nickelodeon began. On, with You can't do that on television. Yes. Yes, I know. It's so not that anymore. <laughs> no. Okay, so I want to test your memory or your pop culture knowledge. I think we're the same age. You can't do that on television, which was shot in Canada, and that began Nickelodeon. That began the whole slime thing. Double Dare. Double Dare, Mark Summers. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have my own story with Mark Summers. Ugh. Um, and there was also... Pinwheel? Yeah, pinwheel, pinwheel. <gasps> what are you done? Look at my pinwheel yeah. and see what I found. Yeah. I sing that all the time and I'm like, what is that? And then I'm like, oh, pinwheel, pinwheel. And the secret garden. Everyone knows the secret garden. Right? When they find your name in the little leaf, they never found Rena. It's like, ah, why don't they say good morning to me? They never found Gabriel and also Romper Room they, with the magical magic. Uh-huh. They never saw Gabriel. Oh, they never saw Rena. Um, <laughs> And I think uh, The Secret Garden was shot in Brooklyn College. Oh, really? With those two ladies. I just remember those two ladies. Probably the only person that I know who's also seen Pinwheel because that was like, that was my thing. Yeah. But I also grew up on Free to Be. Like, I I grew up on all of those, the musical shows. It was a very musical show, Pinwheel. Uh, Mm -hmm. Pinwheel was, yeah. Do you remember Turkey TV? No. Oh, okay. Turkey TV, which was a conglomerate of like, comedy sketches from all tv of like a lot of british tv as well but british comedy mixed in turkey tv um pinwheel also had like the the land of the the hats oh yeah yeah, yeah, Kinda, yeah. i watched a little bit online it's very slow i bet yeah. well if you look at mr rogers mm-hmm. um i lo- actually we watch a lot of daniel tiger oh, in daniel our house because great. it's got that slow pace mm-hmm. that i love 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 do you remember when you can't do that on television was a comic strip in the back of TV Guide. No, I do remember TV Guide. Yeah. Wow, really? It was a comic strip in the back of TV. It was brief. It was very quick. Quick, uh, briefly. It might have been just a year. Whoa! But you, you could probably find the pictures of it online. But, That's uh, crazy. I don't remember that. TV Guide was like my. That was like my Bible. One quick thing about Mark Summers. I've talked to Mark Summers. Oh, really? Well, I shouldn't say talk. We messaged on facebook because i had this strange memory many years ago i grew up in long island there was a there was a mall called sunrise mall out in suffolk county i grew up in merrick merrick i went to camp with everyone from merrick yeah and stage door matter i'm sure yeah kevin i knew a couple of Kevin. uh he was from merrick mm. kevin reed do you know kevin reed no, no he was from merrick yeah <laughs> merrick you got to say it like that merrick my school, my, my, uh, I went to Calhoun and the two famous people, well, four famous people that, that came out of my high school, I did not go to school with them, but my brother and sister went to school at Calhoun with Debbie Gibson. Who did Les Mis. And who did Les Mis and Kevin Shinnick. Kevin Shinnick was, the only way you know Kevin Shinnick, he was the host of Where in the World is Carmen San Diego. Oh, yeah. Carmen San Diego. But also Ben and Jerry. They were born and raised in, in Merrick. Oh, no way. I thought they were born and raised in Vermont. Merrick. And, um, oh, how funny. Merrick. The story, and I love to tell everyone that about this, and Carrie is like, stop telling everyone the story. Every time we walk into a Ben and Jerry's ice cream shop, we don't, well, we don't anymore because we're vegan. Yeah. 
have dairy free. They do. They do. It's like $9, but they do. Um, in 1970, my parents with my brother and sister who were my brother's seven years old and my sister's six years older. So I wasn't born yet. So my sister maybe just one. They moved to Merrick from Brooklyn. They bought their house from the Cohen family, which was Ben's family. So my childhood home was Ben's childhood home. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's awesome. I, for, I went to Skidmore, so we were right over the border. So we had the first Ben & Jerry franchise in Saratoga Springs, mm, that's the cool. first one that that's wasn't cool. in Burlington. I, uh, I wanted yeah, to do a documentary about Ben & Jerry, but it kind of phased oh, out. I love them. There, I know they were the fat kids in school, and they had a pickle truck oh for a little while. They, they would try different things. And uh, when my parents were cleaning up uh, a bedroom, which became my sister's bedroom, which was Ben's bedroom, uh, they found like drawings of airplanes in the closet. Oh, my God. That's yeah, so cool. Yeah, cool things. Um, so I always thought I would be the second famous person out of that house. That was just my... Possibly. Maybe. Yes. I still have time. Yeah. Um, so... Many years ago, there was this thing at Sunrise Mall Island. that they were going to uh, find a new host for the Game Show Network. Wait, this was when you were younger? This was, I had to been, it was during college years. Okay. So maybe I was 20. Where'd you go to college? New Paul's. Okay, New Paul's, yep. Upstate New York. So even at this age, I wanted to be a host of something. So I went to this Game Show Host Contest. There was a big stage in the middle of Summer's Mall. And as soon as I got there, Mark Summers was already done. Oh. He, was, he did his thing. But he was talking to people at a table. And I was like three feet from him trying to get him to say hello, but he was too busy. And I kind of like, you know, walked away. And I didn't get a chance to say hi. So I got on a list. I had nothing prepared. And I got up on stage. There were scattered people sitting in chairs. And I remember there was, you know, families and kids and so I got up on stage. I think there was like, you have to say who you are, why you want to do it. Why would you be a good host on a, on a mic, on a live mic in the middle of the mall. So I started riffing off stuff and I started, I remember I made a joke and I didn't get any laughter, but I saw a guy in the front row kind of smirk. And as I pointed him out and it's like, all right, he gets it. So I'm trying to do my thing. And so that whole day fizzled out. I remember there was one guy with, with like these big guy smiley face who like became like the go-to. He's the one and he was making the rounds. So many years later, beginning of COVID time, when I'm trying to think of what I want to do, you know, create a podcast, I'm thinking, what happened to that, that game show thing? And I found Mark Summers on Facebook and it says in his profile that he accepts messages. Oh, so I started messaging Mark Summers and he said, oh, that was just a contractual thing. It became nothing. It was a fake thing. It's all PR. It's all PR. All PR. That's yeah. Annoying. And I tried to get him on to my podcast oh. and he was pretty, he seemed pretty negative about the whole COVID thing. Oh. Yeah. It's going to get worse. And uh, anyway, yeah. It was, he does a candy show. He has a candy yeah, show? Yeah. He does like sweets with Mark Summers where it's on the Food Network. It's pretty great. Oh, yeah, that's cool. But Double Dare, I love. I I, I want to get on Double I Dare know, when I was a kid. Too. They came to one of my camps before I went to Stage Door. I went to a place called Camp Monroe, like a Jewish camp, and uh, they mm. came and cast. And of course, they cast the owner's daughter. I'll never forget that. I'm like, ah, shut uh, up, me. Uh, so I knew about you or re got reintroduced to you when I saw your music video for Imagine oh, That. Oh, 
which was so adorable and fun. Thanks. Sometimes I imagine that I would like to be a knight in shining armor in a castle by the sea. How did you get involved with doing that for Sesame Street? I decided the year before COVID. Uh, on January 1st that I needed to leave my daughter something because I wasn't going to leave her money. So I decided I wanted to make an album for her. And I was like, what should I do? And then suddenly we were watching a lot of original Sesame Street. And I was like, oh, that's such good music. Maybe I'll do that. And I randomly emailed Jason Alexander, who's a friend. And I just looked to him for advice. And, and I was flying somewhere and I wrote him in the plane. And I was like, thinking about doing a Sesame Street album, would you want to be involved? And I don't really ask him ever to do anything, but something mm -hmm. about it just felt right. And before he even landed, he emailed back. He's like, yes, I want to wow. do that. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, now I have to do it. <laughs> so anyway, I went ahead and, and got an incredible producer out of Nashville and put together these songs of Joe Raposo and Jeff Moss and had French Stewart and oh. Emma Woolley and... Then I, you know, I worked at a blind music school for a long time. So I decided to create a choir of young blind singers and wow. everything fell into place. Sony Interactive gave us their mocap stages to record. And I recorded, actually, it's right here. I have one right here. Oh. I recorded um, one of the greatest is. projects I've ever done um, called Imagine That. And it's all the music of Sesame Street. And Jason and I do a few duets and French Stewart's on there. And it's play, they play their duet on Kids Plays Live on Sirius. And um, and then I wanted to release. It, then COVID started, and I really wanted to make a music video mm -hmm. to inspire kids to not lose their imagination, even if they're stuck at home. So mm -hmm. I hired an animation company. I did that all my like not myself. I hired people, but um, my partner and I. He's a filmmaker, so he shot it, and then we animated it and put it out there. That's just so incredible. And then there's also a version that's audio described by a blind singer. So anyone who's visually impaired or blind can enjoy the video as well. Great. So yeah, that's all on YouTube. It's all free. My album's okay. not free, but the video's free. <laughs> okay. But the album is um, a portion of the proceeds goes to Guide Dogs of America. Awesome. So I'm trying to raise money. So incredible. And I'll be sure to put links to these in the description page of this episode. That would be great. It's nine ninety nine to download the digital album. You can buy the hard copy. Cool. Um, it's worth every penny. It, it's a sure. great album. I'm actually uh, got to get ready to sing soon because I'm singing a live uh, concert of a few songs from the album for some. Incredible! Kids. Wow. Um, you just brought me. And whoever is listening through such an amazing, cool adventure of your life. No, it's you did. wild. Like, sometimes I'm like, I haven't accomplished anything. And then I'll stop and I'm like, oh, yeah. no, no, I have. Oh, you have. <laughs> Everything has, has, it seems, correct me if I'm wrong, come together with Imagine That. Yeah. The, and that music is from my childhood and mm -hmm. anyone who grew up with Jim Henson, like, uh, mm -hmm. or Sesame Street or Ernie and Bert and Big Bird. That music is just, it's perfect. It's mm -hmm. perfect music. Yeah. I'm doing Sing and Being Green this afternoon. And I and they're just both songs that you don't have to be little to just love. Like, yeah. yeah. Being Green to me is the hallelujah. Oh, you know, yeah. it's like Jeff Buckley's hallelujah. <laughs> like it's, it's the same. Like it, it elicits the same response. It's not that easy. 
having to spend each day the color of the leaves when I think it could be nicer being red or yellow or gold or something much more colorful like that it's not that easy being green it seems to blend in with so many other ordinary things and people tend to pass you over because you're not standing out like flashy sparkles on the water or stars in the sky but green's the color I wish my kids got into Sesame Street and Jim Henson. I've tried. Well, you know, um, The Muppet Show is now on Disney Plus. So I play Izzy lots of Muppet shows, but I'll send you a free download of my album and you can maybe they'll like oh, that. Oh, cool. Thank you. I have The Muppet Show. I have the I have the first season of The Muppet Show and they've uh, I'm going to try again. Show them the Harry Belafonte one. Ooh. Izzy and I watched Deo, the Harry Belafonte with Deo and Fozzie who keeps interrupting him. It's one of the best comedy moments and ever. And they know that song. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And I yeah. see behind you, I see a Kermit right over your shoulder. Oh, yeah. Kermit, there's Piggy is next to him. Piggy is busy. Piggy's wasted. Yeah. She is out. <laughs> yeah, there's Muppets all. My, my, well, my kitchen um, is all uh, Chuck Jones. It's all Bugs Bunny cool. and, and Wiley Coyote. And my bathroom is all <gasps> Muppets. I have a huge Kermit um, shower wow, curtain. Wow, that's amazing. There's a Rainbow Connection lyrics. There's a <laughs> that's Gonzo my, That's my thing. dream bathroom. Like, 
the whole bathroom is mud. <laughs> Every time I want to sing Rainbow Connection, Carrie's like, don't do Kermit. Oh it's, oh, it's the best song. Yeah. Izzy and I try to watch it, but we've tried to get through the Muppet movie yeah. and she loses interest. There's some scary moments in the Muppet movie. Was, she likes the moving right yeah. along because they see Big uh, Bird. She's like, there's uh, Big Bird. Doc Hopper's trying to like kill Kermit. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I don't know. They want to eat his legs. Yeah. Is that Mel Brooks? No, Doc Hopper is not as I look at my Mel Brooks stuff. Uh, um, hmm. No, I don't think Mel is in Muppet well, movie. Wasn't the... It might be, Car- Carl might be. Carl Reiner. Now, now I'm not sure if it was a great Muppet caper or the Muppet movie. Oh, maybe the great Muppet caper, All but right, not the look Muppet movie. Look it up movie. on IMDb. I don't think. Because he has a reference. He's wearing a, he's wearing a jacket, which references, instead of saying Gov from Blazing Saddles, it says something else. Let's see, Milton Burrow. Yep, he's in Professor Max Craftsman. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. But that's incredible that your house is just like the go-to of children's pop culture. Oh, totally. And then Mel Brooks. I have a lot of Mel Brooks. A lot of Mel Brooks around here. Yeah. What's your most favorite Mel Brooks movie? History of the World. Part one. Great answer. Mm-hmm. I had he signed for me. I'm looking at it right now. It's an it was an album of History of the World wow. that um he wrote on for me that I have framed on my wall next to my Sesame Street albums. That, are that <laughs> is incredible. So your normal is incredible. It's Broadway, it's stage, it's screen, it's music, it's Disney, mm-hmm. it's Sesame Street. There is a little bit of murder. Yeah. <laughs> little mobsters, few mobsters, mobsters in there. So amazing. <laughs> Thanks. That is an incredible normal. Yeah, my normal, my normal would make most people's day feel like they can only live that one day mm. <laughs> like they, but it's my life every day is different every day is an adventure mm. um you never know what's going to happen whether it was in new york or la and now with a four-year-old i definitely yeah. have adventures every day so that's a great way to think of it that every day is an adventure yeah that's really how I, I look at my life. I don't know what it entails. I don't have a nine to five. Like I don't know who's going to call me or what job I might get or who might want my album or ask me to perform somewhere. And that's, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. And again, thank you so much for giving up your, your busy mm-hmm. time, your busy schedule. You're very welcome. You're so multi-talented and incredible, but you have this uh, connection, this natural connection to i'm not gonna say content i don't like saying content but the the history of tv and film and entertainment and music and broadway you are an encyclopedia Mm -hmm. of all that and also you're passionate about it and you have just the fact that every room of your house is disney here sesame street Mm -hmm. warner brothers warner brothers mel brooks i mean that's like a museum it really is Pretty cool. It's and it's just like I'm slowly. I recently moved, so I'm slowly like putting up all my my cells, my animation cells and stuff. One day, hopefully, maybe we could play a, a like a pop culture game between us yeah. because that'd be pretty fun. Yeah. So let me get yeah. to my last question and then go back to your adventures in Rena Stroberland. Okay. My big question I ask everybody is, what does normal mean to you? Normal means boring to me. I think that's uh, without thinking too hard about it. But when I hear normal, I hear boring um, because it's what society deems as normal. And right now, society, I don't know. um, I I love being abnormal. (laughs) I I don't ever want to be normal. I don't want my child to be normal. I call her weirdo all the time. People (laughs) overhear and they think it's so mean. And I'm like, she's Uh my weirdo. Like, I'm a weirdo. (laughs) She's a weirdo. Uh Um, We're abnormal we we're against normal because 
um, the majority of the world normal is fitting in and matching the curtains, matching your scenery, yourself to your scenery. And I don't want to match. Like I, I literally, I built a bookshelf yesterday from Target and it was just like a wood bookshelf and Izzy woke up and saw it and she goes, it looks like the color of dirt. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I have to show you what I did. I had wallpaper and I literally just (laughs) like red and green wallpaper. And I was like, all right, let's make it red. So I covered it. Beautiful. But yeah, I think that's, that's my definition of normal. Okay. And, and it's, it's, it's for people like I, I admire and respect people who, who love normal, like who can breathe and live in normality. Like there is a part of me that wishes I had some of that too. Um, it would allow me to have a more, um, uh, I think a wealthier life and a more succinct and predictable life. Um, but it's just not how I was made. So, so I admire people who can live normally, but that's, that's not me. That's an amazing answer. Thank you so much. Of course. The fact that you call your child weirdo. Uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely do. Did you have any of that? Uh, I'm going to go flashback to when you were a kid. Did you have any of that when your parents w- would react to what you were doing? No, no. I, my parents, I, New York, Queens, Jewish, loud household. I was the third kid. I was just sort of trying to make noise and be noticed. Right. Um, no, no. I'm raising her very different than I was raised. Uh, I don't hide anything. I say everything. She has a horrible mouth <laughs> like a New York City cab driver who's late. Um <laughs> Yeah, she's. I'm raising her to just celebrate her weirdness and celebrate everything. And I'm raising her very liberal and aware of race and of sexuality. And mm. and I know that sounds so cliche that I'm in L.A., but I make sure her friends are not all white. And I make sure her friends aren't all from a mother and a father. Like, I, mm. I want her to be able to celebrate what's normal, what's different. Mm. And that's going back to Sesame Street. That's what Jim Henson celebrated. Yeah. What's different? Exactly. What's different? And I'm, I'm, I think I'm just looking ahead. I think I'm going to call this episode celebrating the weirdness. Yeah. Oh my God. Gonzo was a weirdo. Yes. Like he, yes. he was the weirdo. And yeah, I love being the weirdo. And he had a big nose, which I always related to. Aww. I loved him. Yeah. He's, he's above my toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the great Gonzo. Great Gonzo. <laughs> There's a picture up up there. Rena, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that an amazing talk with the incredible Rena Strober? So much fun. Be sure to check out her website, renastrober.com, for links to her Sesame Street album, Imagine That, and everything about her and the incredible Blind Children's Choir. Celebrate the weirdness of life. And yes, we are still in a pandemic. No matter if you got one or both of your vaccine shots, doesn't mean that the sickness is over. Please continue to wear a mask properly and do your best to enjoy life. Celebrate the weirdness. And again, be sure to check out Law and Order Organized Crime on NBC and NBC.com. Thank you so much for that. And one more thing, please rate and review this episode or my entire podcast on Apple iTunes podcasting platform. Thank you for that. And if you have any comments or questions, please contact me via the social media links on the episode. I would love to hear your thoughts and comments. Thank you so much for that. Now, here is Rena Strober's Imagine That. Enjoy, and thank you for listening. Sometimes I imagine that I would like to be a knight in shining armor. 
princess by my side And I'd have a magic feather And a horse that I could ride And the king would say Oh, Rina, you're so strong and so brave Please rid us of this dragon Breathing fire in his cave And I'd get on my horse And I'd start to ride And I'd travel my way through the countryside And I'd come at last to the dragon's cave And I'd yell, Mr. Dragon, you'd better behave And the dragon would be so Imagine that. 